Hello and welcome to the Manifest Image podcast. The 20th century marked a change in the arts, no longer waiting to be retrospectively defined by critics and historians. Writers such as F.T. Marinetti, Tristan Sara and Andre Breton took their identities into their own hands. Deliberately coming together to outline their key beliefs into structured art theories, they disseminated these beliefs into a range of artistic manifestos. On this podcast, we explore and evaluate these manifesto-led movements, including the artists behind them and the works they produced. I'm Thomas Greengrass. And I'm Ariel de la Garza. We are finally back. After a two-month hiatus, a long hiatus, we're back. Ariel, you've been very busy writing plays. I've been busy studying the art market and reading Ulysses. Yes, you have. Yeah. For those of us, uh, for those of you who don't know, I should say, uh, we have an Instagram uh, uh, account at the Manifest Image Podcast, and uh, we've been doing stuff on Robert Burns there, and on Joyce. James Joyce, Portrait mm-hmm. of the Artist, and Ulysses stuff. And uh, we're going to continue doing stuff: pithy summaries, comments, poems, quotes, key dates, key terms, definitions, stuff like that. We also have a Kofi page, so if you want to support us, uh, uh, you can. That'll you be can, the... and uh, look in the description for all of that. Yeah, and uh, there'll be some bonus content out on that shortly, so uh, stick around and support us, please. Ariel, what are we doing today? Well, today we are doing the second part of Electrical War, namely a futurist vision hypothesis. Mm, look at that. That's how professional we are. We left uh, one part off in December. We start again in February. Well, oh, a, yes. It was a cliffhanger. Yeah. It was a cliffhanger. Yeah. We were working out the beats for the Between new, new seasons, season. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. So I think to, to start us off, um, this, is, this is a strange text. Um, it's strange that it's in two parts. Mm. Who so, wrote it for those who didn't hear any of the last one? I feel I don't even need to say who wrote it because it's... At this point. Did you write it? So, yes. <laughs> I wrote it. You wrote it. I wrote it in 1911. Oh. In fact, I, I thought you were old. When I, was still, when I was still a young man. Um, it was F.D. Marinetti. Um, of course it was. Yeah. And I, I do think the best thing to do is just to, to start off with a little quote. To get an idea please, of what this is. Please. Finally, the earth gives its full yield. Enclosed in the vast electrical hand of man, it squeezes out all its rich juices, a lovely orange so long promised to our thirst, and finally won. Finally won. Hunger and poverty have disappeared, the bitter social question annihilated, the financial question reduced to a simple matter of accounting for production. Freedom for all to make money and mint shiny coins. Wow. What an, what an odd selection, you might think. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, we're going to come back to that. We're yeah. going to come back to that because that's a special one. What's so strange about this, and uh, this is why we separated this into two parts, is that uh, Marinetti writes uh, these, this single work in 1911, and then by 1915 he decides to separate it. He believes it works better as, as two parts. And what's so strange is that from the first part, he actually seems softer. That violent and, and rather brash uh, 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 wording is softened. We actually have something from the first one, which was, um, nothing is more beautiful than the steel form of a house under construction. And he mentions that mm-hmm. as a, a, instead of saying that from the first manifesto, the, the, that's the first futurist manifesto, the founding mm-hmm. one, uh, that... Um, 
uh, uh, the speed is more beautiful than the winged victory of Samothrace. So mm-hmm. he kind of tries to bring it into the more everyday, and by putting it in terms of in terms of like housing and and people, it's mm-hmm. it's a far more sociable and personable Marinetti. In the, fir- the first one. In the yeah. first one, and then it carries on with this, where he actually goes full, he goes full blown Nostradamus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he decides this is what I think the future will be like, and it'll either be what it will be like in either mm-hmm. 2011 or 2015, because he says it's 100 years into the future. Yeah, and he so he clearly sticks to it because by 1915 he separates them he separates them and republishes he them he does and that makes a lot more sense so the first i guess a little bit of context the first one um for those of you who haven't immediately listened to it is meant to be this the the birth of a futurist aesthetic so it's a slightly more conventional futurist text where he starts off with some provocations from a fictitious interlocutor and then goes on to pretty viciously defend futurism um, he then goes on, he then has this like wild vision, like apocalyptic vision of skulls and how that's the most futurist thing you could possibly do and skulls and bones used for the production of war before in the second one, shifting to a almost utopian vision for the future where he, you know, really futurizes, I guess he really gives these incredible descriptions of of what the future will be like according to him of us writing on nickel on books made of well, nickel oh, no, 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 hundreds not, of thousands wait, of pages wait 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 let's not jump ahead here because like i've that. separated but, it out but 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 that's that's broadly that's broadly what happens um in, in the second one well and it, in the first yeah and so s- how how have you separated it out well and in fact do we have a pithy summary we have a, an alternative version of a pithy summary. So we have a meaty summary. No, we have a few questions. No, such as, okay, okay. what will the future be like? Will it have wireless charging? Will there be IKEA? Mm? Will there be tablets or Kindles? Uh, will there be wireless phones? Will there be mechanized and autonomous farm vehicles? Will there be hydropower? Weird. What if there was some guy who decided to write some of this down mm-hmm. in 1911? Wouldn't it be weird how much he got right or wrong? But the most important question, do we have planetary scale juicing? Yes, we do. All oh, metaphorical. He nailed it. He nailed it. That we do. But no, so first off, I think, because I can't recommend listeners to actually read this this uh, enough it's yeah. it's an underrated one and for those of you who are interested in sort of seeing what people make of the future back in the day where they go like oh i wonder what it'll be like this is it's, a, it's a bri- hidden gem it's, it's brilliant it's really wonderful i really love it and yeah. well i this is where we're going to begin with what did he get right and what did he get wrong Ooh, what about okay. with what he well actually we can sort of do both at the same mm-hmm. time but I'm just amazed because, as I already mentioned, he says, he talks about wireless charging. He talks about wireless phones. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, he does talk about uh, autonomous farm vehicles. He talks about, uh, they're slightly, you know, uh, rhetorically embellished with sure. sort of these cars with side arms that are uh, sort of plowing away and doing these things. Uh, he also talks about like you know central heating. Well, he doesn't, but he talks about controlling the temperature inside homes. Yeah, that he does. Yeah. And saying that people will be flying. 
they'll be in their biplanes, but we mm-hmm. can just think of aeroplanes. We can give them the benefit of the doubt. They could be charitable there. Hey, biplanes! Biplanes were a thing. There they was were a, a thing, but there was a time in the, the in the seventies and eighties where you know they were all the rage. So seventies and eighties, yeah, or was it the sixties? I don't know. Might, I think it might have been the sixties. It's in a James Bond film. Oh, okay. Find it. So it was your, your classic uh, playboy who lives in the Swiss Alps, but like on the Italian side would have a biplane, you know, mm. a little glider, and they'd all have gliders. So that, that's like a futuristic, a glider. like you won't like a glider. 60s or you're right. It yeah, has so to be that, electrical. Yeah, it hasn't got any. <laughs> it has to be electrical. But yeah, he ends up talking about hydropower and has these beautiful descriptions of uh, an interconnected world, this nervous system that spreads out across the world that will be wireless uh, mm-hmm. as well as, uh, well, there will be, will be wireless technology, but also that there'll be whole electric grids that uh, are tantamount to this nervous system. It's rather I- impressive how how close he gets. And I've chosen a few. Just yeah, go for be, it, go for it. Show, show, uh, show, show me what he gets right. Well, uh, so he talks about the, the immense grey-green sea, stupidly adored by the poets, now labours with its raging and furious waters to set in ceaseless motion the countless iron pontoons that energise two million dynamos sighted along the beaches and in a thousand, a thousand working gulfs. So he's talking about hydropower quite clearly, and he's talked about the, a network of metal cables, the double force of the Mediterranean, and... So he really is looking to the future, and we have got that, mm-hmm. and they were beginning to have that then. Um, and he talks about people flying everywhere and with millions of kilowatts spreading everywhere, yet needing no wires. So he's he's looking at this, you know, wireless mm-hmm. and wireless technology is everywhere. I mean, now we talk about wireless charging. You just put your iPhone. It's down. It's not wireless. I I refuse to believe that that's wireless. What? Wireless charging. You still need a wire to connect it to the wall. You know. You could probably just no. have like an attachment that's like a kind of a landing no. pad for no. it. No, yeah, well, yeah, but that that's attached by wire. Now, do you want to hear one of my more audacious ones? This is him in so my no mind. So no retort. I <laughs> won. <laughs> well, this is in my mind. Uh, Marinetti predicting Ikea. Mm-hmm. They have steel furniture, twenty times lighter <laughs> and less expensive than ours. <laughs> I think yes, correct. That's no, IKEA. No, That's no, what no, IKEA no. You're wrong. IKEA isn't made out of steel. It's, uh, it's made out plywood. of plywood. It's made out of landfill. That's what <laughs> IKEA is made out. Yeah. Steel. But I, I just landfill. love how he looks at it. So yeah, they'll have loads of this cheap furniture everywhere. Yeah, it's it's it is it is, it is pretty IKEA. brilliant. It is pretty brilliant. Yeah. But this is my favorite one though. They write in books made of nickel no thicker than three centimeters, costing no more than eight francs, and still containing one hundred thousand pages. Wow. So these nickel books... No they're just they're notebooks, I think. I, well, I think it's they're remarkable very, very how close that is to something like a Kindle or a, or a touchscreen. Yeah, I'm not saying... People say that Bill Gates foresaw um, the smartphone in the 90s with him talking about, yeah, you'll have these little things. You, I think he called them something like a, a pocket wallet. Uh, no, like an a, a, a electronic wallet or something like that. And he said they'll play little games on them and have stuff. Marinetti's got this ages before. Mm-hmm. If Bill Gates foresaw it, then Marinetti foresaw it in 1911. You know what? With but he thought with nickel books. I'm happy with that. Well, well, how else? Like, what, how do you interpret that? No thicker than three centimeters, yet still containing 100,000 pages. It's it's, it's kind it of a, it's kind of a beautiful, but it's kind of a beautiful image because I imagine it like really shining, shimmering. Mm. These are the beautiful thin pages of metal. Mm. It's wonderful. 
But I, I just like that. I, I, I love um, old-timey futurisms. When it's it's still sort of far away enough that there... And, and everything is so new yeah. that there is this, like, significant misunderstanding. This, like, almost but not quite grasping of the concepts that, that you're working with. Was that from so Metropolis? You, yeah, a little bit, right? So you extrapolate like that was, but them But that's 1917 into, or something that's, like that? Or uh, was that even later? I think that's later. But then, you know, you, you extrapolate it wildly, yeah. wildly, wildly to these insane things. So for Marinetti... Electricity is not dangerous. No. Ever. Like, in, I think in any of the other things we've it seen It can before, be corrupting. He's got this new age thing. So this is one of the things where I think maybe he's wrong because mm-hmm. he gets this new age uh, hypochondria. The miracle, the great miracle dreamed of by passeist poets is coming to life around us. Everywhere the plants grow in abnormal fashion from the effects of the artificial electricity at high tension. Electric irrigation and drainage. And he carries on uh, with talking about vegetal cells and assimilating the nutritive properties of the soil and directly excites vegetative energy. So he's kind of imagining these weird, twisted things. Yeah, exactly. And that's like I, new I age people thinking that. like mm-hmm. 5G is going to kill you. Oh, no, it is. He, 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 seem, he seems to think that everything, he, he has this metaphysical line in there that we now know as we've long suspected, I think he says, that everything is made up of tiny electrically charged particles. And therefore, with all this electricity flying around the sky, we'll be able to harness the very energy and vital juice of the earth kind of thing. Um, but he doesn't really understand, I guess, how any of that works. Yeah, it's difficult to sometimes... Just make... enough to think, yes, just more electricity, more energy will make mean more life. You know, more vibrance. It's great. I mean, it's, 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 it's a beautiful vision. Like, it's tricky to think of how... I want to see it made into a movie or something. That, that like, Well, the question is how thing. much it's of wonderful. it is around. What do you mean? By coincidence, obviously. Mm. Um, but uh, it, does he... How much is hyperbole and metaphor? And how much is a, a, a literal description of the future? That yes, electricity does have this property where it's going to mess up plant life. And haha, how fantastic. And our eyes somehow can really like, conduct electricity in these special ways. Yeah, I think <clears throat> this is where I'm going with the, uh, the, the, the mostly not grasping the concepts very well yet. Mm. Um, but but that's 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 I guess part for the course in very early kind of science fiction. That this is what makes it so wonderful. I mean, like H. G. Wells's um, voyage to the moon. Yeah, is is great, and the way that works is there's a sphere, and you get inside this amazing glass sphere, and you have these panels that like bounce gravity off, and so as you as you open them and close them. You, you reflect the gravity, and so you fly up to the moon. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, that belies a fundamental misunderstanding of, like, gravity. Yeah, but yeah, but who cares? All the time, don't it's, it's so beautiful, no? And, and with Marinetti, I think you have something similar. He, he may think of this energy as a metaphor, and it certainly works as a metaphor, but he does think stuff is made out of electricity, kind of, mm. on some level. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I really like it. It's really fun. 
as wrong as it might be. You, know? you were talking about getting but it wrong. So I was also something thinking else. Lovecraft does the same thing. Yeah. He talks about non-Euclidean geometry in his in his short stories. Yeah, exactly. And he clearly like, doesn't ah, understand what it means. Stuff is it's scary and yeah, complicated. Exactly. Uh, Non-Euclidean, that's what that is. Changing yes. before me. Yeah. Can't quite grasp it. <laughs> well, like like in um so some, something else you'd mentioned, uh, the wireless electricity. That's, that's been around for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and what it is is just, I think, oh, I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to butcher it pretty badly. I think it's if you have, like, very, very high voltage, you, you get arcing, you get arcs of energy. Yeah. So Tesla coils, for example, are yeah. wireless energy. It's just... Or indeed a, lightning. <laughs> yeah, or indeed lightning. lightning right? but it's, it, yeah, wireless energy. From, but it's, it is just staggeringly inefficient. Mm. Um, because obviously the air is not very conductive, so you need a lot of electricity to bridge the gap. But see, nowadays we talk about data, and we're living in other... Through mm-hmm. radiation, we've learned how to use microwaves and radio waves. And so we're constantly walking around with this kind of energy. And this is, I'm assuming, I'm going to be charitable, and this is the kind of thing that he's roughly thinking about, except he's putting it in terms of electricity, because that's the idea that he understands. Well, has some knowledge of a bit, but also because electricity. Yes, no, I, 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 there's some of that, especially like the nickel book. You know, yeah, that it is such a poetic image, but with a hundred thousand pages in it. Yeah, but it, it, I think it goes back to that link he makes between the future and technology and electricity and past primordial romantic energies. Um, you know, the roar of a lion type of stuff. Mm. And I think electricity affords him that vital, exciting imagery to, to do that. Well, it wouldn't be a futurist manifesto if we didn't have some of the standard tropes. Oh, yes. We, we'll read it out now. Great forests, immense woodlands spring up and mounting the mount, uh, mountain sides higher and higher, obeying our futurist wills and sc- Scourging the cadaverous old face, pitted with tears of the ancient Queen of Loves. Of course, Queen of Loves here. It's oh, the, the moon. moon. It's His the moon. moon. The sun, he moves back and forth with the sun, but always the moon he hates. But does he really? He does. Oh, he loves the moon. He liked He's the sun sappy, in... Um, sappy, moon lover. In, um, uh, what was the second one that we did? Kill the Moonlight? Kill the moonlight. Yes, he I'll liked the sun. In that. I know. He also liked the moon. He 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 wants to sort of. No, he hates it. He hates the moon. Yeah. He always hates the moon. He thinks the moon has been done dirty somehow, but it's <laughs> too dirty. It's too dirty now. Oh, but you you mentioned you mentioned radioactivity. Mm. You mentioned radioactivity. Okay. Radiotherapists, their face their faces protected by India rubber masks, their bodies encased in coveralls woven of lead, India rubber, and bismuth will train their spectacles down through leaded windows on the piercing, healing danger of radium. I mean, he nailed it there. Yeah. Mostly. What an image. I love it. It's, it's wonderful. It's just like extra electrical steampunk. There's no it steam. Is, it's yeah. just purely electric. It's, it's so much better. It's so much more like vivid and beautiful. To be honest. So good. I love it. Yeah. So he, he's... he's some of these things he totally gets it that's from the section where he starts to talk about uh the electric war mm-hmm. he has a shift uh instead of just talking about kind of people flying and that he then says that 
he has this utopian section that we should come to in a minute. But then he ends up talking about electrical energy and the electrical war. And he says that uh, there will be 25 great syndicates that govern the world. And it's, it's in that section where he says there's no more need for explosions mm. and explosives. Uh, instead, we've got all this weird new kind of machinery, these electrical cannons. And it's part of that. But what I love is, could you read Convulsive the next Convulsive knots of thundering serpents. Oh, a beautiful... Again, we have returned to the zoomorphism, yeah. which is always good with Marinetti. But what, uh, do you want to read the next bit? So after you've got that, the he- talking about the healing danger of radium, the next bit uh, is yes. great. Ah, when will we finally invent masks and coveralls to protect ourselves from the deadly infection of imbecility? <laughs> the imbecility that you passeists re- reveal when naturally you voice disapproval of the cruel sincerity that spurs my attacks against the old Italy. That's nice. He calls them idiots. Yeah, it is. And then, you disagree with me? Idiot. Yeah, and then this is towards the end, and then he slips into a little bout of Italian nationalism. Yeah. That's nice. The standard, that standard, that's it's the, the little thing that always... It, the, again, the, the it's a... St- weird, jarring little thing that juts out of this vision. Yeah, it's a staple of his manifestos where he... he, he we saw it in the first... Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it persists through all of them, where we just move back and he starts to say accusatory things. You believe this. You believe that. And we've got all these examples of hyperfora, like, yeah. oh, you're asking that? I will tell you why. And then just insulting them. Saying, we've heard your objections. I don't care. Get out. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> so I think we should look at the, the utopian aspect yes. of this a little bit. Well, you actually read um, it out at the beginning, and it's, it's fairly shocking um, oh, actually, just one more thing. Sure. What he gets wrong, levers. He does talk about levers. Oh, and wouldn't he the world that... be better with levers? Yeah. Wouldn't he... it be better if we had a bunch of levers to pull every morning? You wake up, you pull your levers. They you start up the machines, you know? The machines that keep you alive. Wouldn't that be fun? It's weird, because we do. We have machines all the time. We're yeah, but they have, more but they have than ever. switches. I know. Ugh. They live in... Hi- this is what he thinks. Taps, we tap things. So, Ariel, Terrible. this is us, right? They live, this is us. We live in high-tension rooms where 100,000 volts vibrate behind the plate glass windows. They sit with switchboards, with dials to right and left, keyboards, regulators, and commuter- commutators, and everywhere the rich lucidity of polished levers. It's not happening. He's got no, this kind of so Star good, Trek so thing cool. where there's loads of... But no, we've, we've become very minimalist. Yeah, but we still we, have keyboards, but even those, like, we, you know, like nice slick touch screens. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great, though, if someone... That's why Blackberry someone, went out uh, of business. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> know why? Too many levers. <laughs> That's the problem with their <laughs> smartphones. <laughs> wouldn't it be great if someone made a movie like that, though? Those shining levers Just all levers over the place. levers everywhere, That's yeah. great. So, the... the this, Sorry, uh, the utopian. utopian. No, no, that's great. The utopian. But that's what he gets wrong. That's the mm-hmm. big one that he gets wrong. Levers. He thought levers everywhere. We don't completely, like completely levers. Completely agree. Everything else, exactly pretty like he said. It's pretty good, actually. It's really pretty good. Giving him quite a lot. I mean, the nickel book, I mean. Yeah. I'm giving him a lot. I am yeah. imagining that in his mind, it is a, Thomas, it is a book. You you're, Thomas, you're, you're only giving him as much as people give Bill Gates. Yeah. So, finally the earth gives its full yield. Enclosed in the vast electrical hand of man, it squeezes out all its juices, a lovely orange so long promised to our thirst. And finally one, finally one, hunger, poverty have disappeared. No, 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 really slow down on that. Hunger and poverty have disappeared. The bitter social question annihilated. The financial question reduced to a simple matter of accounting for production. Freedom for all to make money and mint shiny coins. The need for degrading labor has ended. Intelligence finally reigns everywhere. Physical labor ceases to be servile, now having only three goals, 
hygiene, pleasure, and struggle. No longer needing to strive for, fi for his daily bread, man finally conceives the pure idea of ascensional record setting. His willpower and ambition grow immense. All surpluses are at play in every human mind. Rivalry strives for the impossible, purifying itself in an atmosphere of danger and speed. That's good, yeah. Now, this is a big change, mm -hmm. right? You're not expecting this from Marinetti. The one who, by the end of it, is saying, we anticipate war and all this. And, and then later on, it, mm -hmm. well, actually in between, starts talking about these electrical cannons and fighting along borders and that will be fought out by these syndicates sure. and companies. What I mean, is thus, Poverty and hunger are gone? Thus far, the only qualifier we've really used for him has been apocalyptic. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable here, where suddenly hunger and poverty, they're gone. Mm -hmm. You don't go hungry anymore. There's, there's no starvation. Well, there's, I think there's, there's two things at play here. On the one hand is the idea that this future where the world has been fully electrified um, and we've fully harnessed electricity and its power means that we controlled it all. And because of this weird mysticism and everything, we control the plants, we control how things grow, we control all of nature. Yeah. The natural world is under our domain. Bounce our futurist wills. Exactly. Yeah. And, That's and why therefore, the queen of the loves, haha, <laughs> the moon. Exactly. And, and I, I don't know. I, I, guess, I guess because we're in this future, we've also somehow tamed imbecility and... Therefore, only the, the smart and those that struggle have made it that far, you know. Maybe, maybe there's some of that in the background. But it's the idea that once we have full control and power over everything in the natural world, then we can provide for all. I know, but he... he, he and we all struggle constantly, you know. It's quite Marx and Engels, mm. uh, you know, uh, that in the morning man will be uh, able to be a fisherman, in the afternoon be this, and in the evening a critic, etc. Mm. I forget the exact quote, but, but mm -hmm. it, it's, it's remarkable how that is, because he has this line about y you can freedom for all to make money and mint shiny coins. I'm doubting that he's That's got a derogative. kind of capitalist thing. It sounds it's more like... derogatory, like a mint shiny coins, all the little coins you might want. You know? Yeah. Well, there's I a little bit of that. There's like an ironic... Well, the financial question reduced to a simple matter of accounting for production. He's mm -hmm. just assuming that, yeah, there's machines to do it all. It's, it's, a, it's this uh, maximization and uh, a new progression mm -hmm. uh, of, of the Industrial Revolution. What before required a lot of human power to produce, suddenly an internal combustion machine can do what 100 were doing before. Sure. And I guess he's thinking, well, in under, it's going to be well, it's not even internal, greater. It's not internal combustion It anymore. was then. Uh, well, not anymore. now, no. Yeah. Not Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> so there is, there is one difference between... The, no, yeah, also, the bitter social question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now that's... What's that? Now, because we don't... I mean, there's the, the optimistic reading of that is uh, the issues of social and, you know, uh, political economy have been finally put to rest given the overabundance of material and then there's the other one <laughs> you know what's the other one i guess something more depressing and eugenicist or something I don't see know. i don't think it's actually that one i think it's the first one uh, no, well i actually think it's a different bit of question oh. it's from the one on, that we refers to in contempt for women and that uh, Margaret Will uh, and all these others said... Yeah, the multiplied where, man. Yeah, where uh, Marinetti imagines that in the future, 
men and women will, you know, there'll only be one sex. There's only men. Yeah, because he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't think that people will need to reproduce in the standard way. And thus, women will be the ones that we can replace. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so I, I, that's the one that I'm thinking that he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're with right. the bitter social, because that's the only one that he... And by bitter social question, you mean his bitter social question and that he was deeply unpopular with women. Yes, because he hates he hates love. Uh, yeah. Well, he hates love and and sensuality. Sure. I mean, that's why Valentine de Saint Point is such an interesting futurist for us because she tries to uh, offer a different, an alternative futurism, um, which One. still has the core ideas and says, "Well, hold on, sex and lust are these, not opposed to futurism. Yeah, these mm. can actually be construed as energies. You can True. actually get this huge progression out of it." I think there's one big. Di- I, I I agree completely. I think that's that's what he. That's probably what he means with this. Probably the, 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 yeah. the bitter social question. That's what I'm getting because that's all that we get. We just get that one thing mentioned, and that's mm-hmm. it. The bitter social question annihilated. No more said. The big difference, I think, between a Marinetti futuristic futuristic utopia and say a Marxist futuristic utopia is that for Marinetti, power ennobles. And once everyone's become powerful, then they are noble and good. Then they are virtuous. Then they are led to more virtue, rather than not. But they're still led to fighting. In well, future, but that's, but that's a virtue. Yeah. Well, but that's a virtuous yeah. thing for Marinetti. But moreover, but there, I mean, physical okay. labor. What's it reduced to? It ceases to be servile. Three mm-hmm. goals: hygiene. Interestingly, he has hygiene in there. God forbid you smell in the morning. <laughs> oh God! I, excuse me. Yes. Your hair is dirty. Please mm-hmm. wash it. Uh, pleasure. And also, so I he mean, has pleasure. That's an odd one. Is that just because he wants a drink? Because he clearly doesn't want any... He doesn't want to sleep with anyone. Yeah, I think. And then struggle. So the struggle would be the war. Mm-hmm. The struggle would be the war. And so, for example, in the, the, the passage about heeding, I think that's, that's where you get some of this. That... Um, because here it is. Because cool, heat and coolness and ventilation are regulated by the flick of a hand, they finally know the fullness and resistant solidity of their willpower. Right. So that's that's one of these little inversions where having all this power will make you truly strong somehow. Yeah. And it's there's a similar thing in. H.G. Wells, I, I feel like I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but if not, here it goes again. There's this thing in H.G. Wells also, in his utopian visions, where all human needs are met, but everyone is really brawny and hunky mm. still. And you think, but why? There's no need for that. It happens in a lot. That also happens in Star Trek. It does. It does. And it's, it's very silly. I think it, it's, it's a very silly... See, I don't think it is Inversion. silly, then. It seems yeah. to happen a lot. I, w- I would perhaps even go so far as to say that perhaps well, there's think, something about it well, that but we I do think, find very intuitive. But I, I think there's this... We find it intuitive, but I think it's, there's this trick to think of power as ennobling. Right? It's the people that think, oh, yes, no, but he's the prime minister, you know. And because he's the prime minister, he must have something important to say. So I think, I think, I think there's a weird, like, veneration of power hidden in a lot of these utopian visions where we, th- I mean, a bit different, maybe. For Marinetti, I think it's more the power. For maybe the other ones, there is some of that, but there, there's like a, an optimism that, I guess it's the same thing, that there's an optimism that power, that having more choice, more of these things will bring out the best parts of, of our character 
rather than the worst. I think it, I think, I think it I mean, also shares a root with the idea of, mm -hmm. uh, of possibility, bringing things about. But also, I think the, because the converse... Because might and might, like yeah. saying that someone is mighty, that they're, that, that they're strong, that they're powerful, also that shares the same you know, root, that's where you also get, oh, that might occur, and that might mm -hmm. not happen, that may happen. Hmm. All, they all share the same root. Yeah, that's interesting. As does magic, actually. They all have this, there's something that's tied between the ability to bring something about and what events can occur, what could be brought about. And whilst they are very closely related, mm -hmm. they're not quite the same. And I think it also happens in other languages. Mm -hmm. in, in Polish, they are mots and morze. Right. That's, that's strength or power. And so I think that there's a connection there that, at least linguistically, mm -hmm. there seems to be a relation between... Possibility and power. Yeah. And so you could... Uh, perhaps it's not that power is itself ennobling, just that m strength and might makes right, but rather it's something about freedom or what human beings can do it's something about being agents perhaps that's the intuitive thing that the more power you have the more events you can bring about and perhaps freedom is the ultimate goal perhaps I i'm not saying that's perhaps, what marinetti thinks. but in marinetti i think it's it's much more what i'm saying in marinetti i think it's that yes. they have the power to do these things and for him it would be power yes will make them stronger and better and seek out struggle and and everything, right? Yeah. Well, he's got this. Mm -hmm. He's no, got a Nietzschean influence. Mind you, going back to the other thing, really briefly, mm. like what I'm saying isn't that um, the negative, pessimistic view, like the Wally version of it, where you have all this choice, you have all this possibility, yeah. and what do you do? You become a fat slob. I think neither of those two are right. I think they're both silly. But I think they ignore. Um, I think they kind of ignore power. That, that power will continue to be a problem in utopia, that power is still a problem in general. And that's probably an issue of all, of all technological utopias. Well, it's, it's interesting, um, and I, I think yeah. uh, related to that, and perhaps we'll get some yeah. further traction with that idea, exploring that, uh, by uh, tangentially mentioning the... He has to sign off. No longer needing to strive for his daily bread, man finally conceives the pure idea of a central record setting. And that's not his entirely... willpower and yeah. ambition grow immense. So, when when a human being no longer has to struggle uh, to uh, to survive, he immediately thinks. Strangely enough, instead of becoming fat uh, slob, yeah, yeah, instead of becoming. Um, uh, 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 sort of overly comfortable mm -hmm. and complacent. Sure. Uh, he actually thinks the opposite happens. It's a very interesting thing. Um, and we, we see this all the time, you know, with the idea of like a, a three-day working week and things like that. Russell, Bertrand Russell, wrote a, a piece called In Praise of Idleness, mm -hmm. where he advocates <laughs> that in the future, he says, and it's a, a very viable thing, that people will decide that they will not require as much money They'll rather take fewer resources in order to have more leisure time. Mm. And there are also ideas that um, are related to that. Like the, uh, people look at the idea of a universal basic income mm -hmm. become a hot thing, especially as opposed to welfare. And that um, there are lots of studies being conducted, and there's still more being done, about what people would do in trial things. Do people just end up spending all their money on booze and then not bother doing anything? 
I'm sure and a, a lot few, of studies, but most, most yeah, don't. It seems that a lot ended up uh, actually working most, something most like... Most don't. Most don't, yeah. Well, one study I saw, uh, mm-hmm. actually, they saw that they were doing 10 hours a week less of what they would consider work because they were still working in order to get money on top of it. But in those 10 hours, they were either applying for better jobs, looking after their children or families, or, or they were being happy. Well, no, what's interesting, they, <laughs> were, look, they were enrolling in, in, in additional school programs yeah. and lessons. So sure. it seems that human beings did want to grow and flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, as it, It's still contentious, but it's interesting that no, you no, do no, see no, these that's, things, that's and this true. is all connected. And So he has this idea that if, you, specifically, if there's no starvation, yeah, but you don't have to work to live... Your willpower will grow immense. It's it's true, but I think, but specifically, um, Marinetti here seems to be talking about uh, CEOs that like to go climb Everest, (laughs) which is true. Like, like aspirational Everest because it's there. I had to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fine, you can be the romantic hero, George Mallory, that wound up a hideous, desiccated corpse. You already look a bit like a hideous oh, death. <laughs> I'm kidding. Face reveal. No, there no. Is a, there is Give a... us a million pounds on the Kofi and we will do a face reveal. Yep. <laughs> yes, and Thomas, and Thomas will look like a desiccated corpse. Oh, God. For Halloween. Oh, okay. That's all right yeah. then. But, yeah, okay. What, what, what more do you think um, we can say about this? I, I want to... to uh, I, I ask you, but... I want to mention a few things about part one. Oh, yes, please do. First. Please do, because they are... It's, it, uh, just, just, I think, I think as, as, as kind of a wrap-up here, we could talk a bit about part one. Yeah, very appropriate, because mm-hmm. it's strange how they, they, this is released as one, and, every, and then in 1915, he separates them, and he clearly doesn't disavow them. He, he, he keeps them on, and that's why these are such important texts, because they don't fit so easily with the rest of the Futurist corpus. They don't, and nor do they fit very neatly with one another, I think. I mean, the uh, part one, he... Even part one is al- almost disjointed. I mean, part one, he starts with this big provocation, another question. Mm. Um, an imagined question from the passeist who says something like, oh, but what of these new things can you put up against the works of the great old masters? And he says, well, two things, you know, the... Yeah, hyperfora, again, exactly. favorite devices, hyperforas... Exactly, the, the, the great works of the great the masters are but a few of a bunch of terrible things, which, you know, fair enough. And uh, moreover, cosmopolitan nomadism has reduced to obsolescence the great buildings that once expressed kingly authority and mysticism and God and power and so on. Mm. Which, well, I guess. Yes. A bit. Uh, this is very Nietzschean as well. We know, you know, it's the death of God, you know. Yeah. Who, who, why do we have these things? They're no longer imbued with the mm. meaning that they once had. We can't believe them. Yeah, and then he talks about the aesthetics of speed again. Yeah. And it's a little bit more conventional. Then it gets, uh, you know, the, the quote you read out about nothing is more beautiful than the steel frame of a house under construction. And then the fallen construction worker that's a drop of blood on the pavement. Yeah, that's where it takes a turn. (laughs) Starts taking a turn. And then he talks about the bones thing. uh, That speaks of of this great future symbol coming from the Far East, where the Japanese plunder the great Manchurian fields of the dead, the great Manchurian battlefields full of dead people, to use them for this very specific thing that 
this property that those bones have that can be used to craft a very strong weapon. I think in the last one, I was rather skeptical of that. I thought, oh, this is all bunk, that they made a specific coal out of yeah. this. I don't know if they make... I think it, it is still bunk that they make a specific coal out of it. However, that is true, mm. because bones are a source of nitrogen. Okay. And, so, and, uh, yeah, bones are, in fact, a source of nitrogen. So that is something that happens, and they, they used to happen. I mean... It's uh, not just rhetorical gumph that he's come up with. Not entirely. Maybe a little bit, but... And I don't know if... This was they done might exactly. have thought it at the time, something like that. Well, no, they knew what they were doing by this point. I mean, chemistry's been around for a while now, <laughs> and they know what they're doing. The thing is, uh, that's why graves were robbed in Egypt and in loads of places. Right? Oftentimes graves were robbed not for the gold, but for the bones to use as fertilizer because of the nitrogen. It wasn't until uh, Mr. Fritz Haber, that practically walking thought experiment... Um, morally speaking, made up this process to to, to bring nitrogen out of the air. Mm. And that both Before made, then, bone meal. Yeah, literally, bone meal, because it has nitrogen. And was used to make guns and to make explosives. So he develops the process specifically for explosives, but it obviously gets used for fertilizer. But do you not think that... So that's, that's, that's where it comes from, in any case. It, it's odd. But it, it's good because, again... He has this connection between, you know, war has to get us there and we can't be complacent. And he constantly talk, he talk, talks about this in Let's Kill the Moonlight, that people die and they sacrifice in order to mm-hmm. bring about the great futurist city and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And he mentions the great futurist city again at the end mm-hmm. of, uh, of part two, mm-hmm. um, a vision hypothesis. But as a disjointed work, or is it? Is it two? Should it be read as two pieces or as one? Because uh, we should mention that uh, this particular um, translation is from uh, Futurism and Anthology, uh, and this is the first time that it was. It's actually been presented as a single work, whilst also, alloc- uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you have marginalia that say this is part two, electric or vision hypothesis, but uh, all other. Uh, translations of it uh, that have been found they separate these explicitly as two works mm-hmm. there's no relationship and so this is the first time that they are brought back together and so you can kind of read it in two ways I is it appropriate to be apart or or is there some better reading together yes um, they certainly work apart they are I think yeah. condensed ideas but there is a there is a flow to it as one piece where you start off with your usual futures text, then you have this, you know, then we talk about aesthetics, and then you have this drop of blood that I think really is the turning point for that text mm-hmm. that then takes a fairly nauseating turn through the uh, bone meal episode. Because we, did say, skull we episode. did say in that last episode that actually yeah. when you read the beginning, it seems that he's actually much softer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't seem to be, uh, as we actually said in this one, mm-hmm. as brash and forceful. Uh, and it's almost as if he's trying to bring people over and convert them into futurism. Exactly. Those who are a bit put off. And it's as if he kind of like tries he, to ease them into the bathwater. Sure. And then he puts you off intensely with the whole bones, with the, with the bones. With the bones thing. But then... But by that point, you're in. No. You're in the water. No, no, you're not. You're, 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 you're stepping out of the tub. But then he kind of brings you back in, I think, with these, these visions of the future. These staggering visions of the future. And, and where do we finish? 
in the, the end. end. Yeah. Nationalism. Oh, well. Just, just an unfortunate thing. Read so it in, out. In a Read way, it's it a very... It's in, a, in a way, it's a... Yeah. The violent strike. In a way, it's a very... I think... Um, sort of condensed version of futurism because you, you do have all of this, these ebbs and flows of of what the movement is and, and almost what, how it wound up being you know it's, 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 it's almost like a timeline of the movement itself mm. you know starting off at this very purely aesthetic point of view like a, an aesthetic artistic movement and then sliding through well the aesthetic a, defines a theory and then instead of saying you more, know more and less things will be like yeah. tomorrow what things will be like in a hundred years. Yeah, and then he goes through a sort more of more and less appealing version of what a full acceptance of futurism into your life and into your soul. And that's where it really works well together. Obviously, mm -hmm. for people who are just really interested in uh, looking at past prophecies of the future, mm -hmm. then obviously just read the second part. But if you really want to understand futurism in a, a key word, because it really is, it, this, mm -hmm. he, he doesn't get rid of it. No, he releases not. it again. Yeah. That shows that, and it even decides to change it a little bit by separating it. That shows that these ideas, he, he sticks to them. Sure. He sticks to them. And it's nice that you mentioned the gravediggers as well, because I think this is also in this final part, we, we bring it together nicely with the first and the second yeah. part. With, Shall we? Yeah. Do you want to do, do it sure. from there? And be quiet, you imbeciles, for we are aiming our hearts at you like revolvers, our hearts gripped in our fingers and loaded with hatred and audacity. The violent strike of the young gravediggers begins with us. Enough of tombs, let the cadavers bury themselves, and we will enter into the great futurist city that points its mighty battery of factory smokestacks against the enveloping army of the dead, marching along the Milky Way. Lovely. Yeah. And I think that that works well, also bringing it together, reading them as two pieces, but also seeing that there is some cohesion. Yeah, there's, there, there are at least, I think, themat thematic and almost chronological mm. um, similarities between the two. So, uh, and Lying the big surprise around. here is obviously, it's fun to see how much he kind of loosely, charitably got right. What he yes. got wrong with the levers, we didn't like yes. levers, we moved away from them. Yeah, and look, as always, at this point we've become somewhat inured to uh, Marinetti's and Futurism's deeply unpalatable sides mm. um, also I have to say having taken that little hiatus and coming back to his writing it really is very good yeah it really is excellent yeah even with the whole hygiene stuff which I still find really really terrible mm. yeah it is it is he's, he's a great writer it, is great. it really is electric oh and with that terrible this <laughs> This episode, we are back. It was a while, but we are back. We will be doing a, a weekly episode um, yep. at some point in the week. Follow, the our, socials, Follow um, our socials and uh, uh, help us out on Ko-fi. Mm -hmm. um, Instagram is our most active platform at the moment, so that's the one to check out. But maybe in the future, Twitter or TikTok or something like that. Uh, we are upcoming... We will have, in no particular order, but I'll just mention these, because sure. uh, we're going to move away from a bit of Marinetti. We are going to turn to uh, some futurist manifestos on music, uh, as well as on photography or photodynamism. Perhaps theatre. 
And theatre. Yeah, mm-hmm. these are all coming up. So we're going to take a little bit of a break from Marinetti. We'll probably come back to Marinetti with something like uh, his manifesto on literature, which we've never done. Yes. We haven't done that yet, but, but I think uh, it's a good break. we are slowly, slowly finishing up with futurism. Slowly, slowly. That's right. And uh, we, what we might do is, because there are some nice ones that happen later on, that we like with cuisine, but probably at that point... No, but as many have said, that one is, is a gasp. It's a gasp for the Ah, oh, but maybe it's interesting to yeah, sort of see what fun. it fizzles out into. Mm-hmm. But after that, we'll turn our attention to things like de Blauwriter, mm-hmm. uh, Vorticism, mm-hmm. Dadaism, Surrealism. And uh, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people are really excited for stuff like Surrealism. They're like, yes. that's the one we know. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. What's this futurism? And yet all of them would steal from, from Marinetti. Yes. That's why it's so important to stick with him. And we might go back and do some bonus stuff on stuff like some of the symbolists. Sure. And um, there's, there's the really... Strindberg has a, a sort of a manifesto and a preface to Miss Julie, which mm-hmm. where he outlay, uh, outlines his naturalism and references Zola. And Ibsen has a similar thing for a doll's no, house. Ibsen. And so mm. maybe going back a little bit into the 19th century and seeing a few loose manifestos and symbolist manifestos... Not full movements. No, but also moving forward, I think we'll probably do some things on theatre. Yep, more lots things. of stuff we've on theatre. We've been very interested in that lately. Um, so in any case... Thank you very much. Thank you much. very much.